We'll continue in our workbook, Knowing the Living God. We're in chapter 31. I'm going to stick fairly close to content of the book. I hope you'll excuse me if I read from the book. Uh, you have to remember, not everybody has a book. It's not like, you know, I'm trying to be redundant. And uh, most of the stuff, I can't say better than what is written in the book. So if I read from the book, please be patient. The important thing is the scriptures that we look at, I plan to look at all the scriptures that are listed. Uh, when I was preparing here, looking, trying to gain all the knowledge I could about God as the creator, looking in scripture and commentaries, internet, sermon audio, whatever I could find, there's quite a bit of stuff about the creation. Not a whole lot of, it's not very hard to find that. It's not as easy to find stuff about, find material about God as the creator. Honestly, I feel like this is very, very foundational. This, I think this is a non-negotiable to our faith. Uh, we shouldn't shouldn't back up, shouldn't slack down on this point. Uh, I'm going to pray again and ask for God's help, and uh, we'll look at this chapter. Heavenly Father, Lord, we don't want to come, any of us, especially me, uh, lighthearted in any way. God, uh, you are sovereign, you are king, and we're going to learn more about you as creator and the things that that carries, Heavenly Father. Please, speak through your word. You know what kind of vessel I am, not very good, but God, your word's faultless. God, speak through your word. Speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> First, I'm going to refer to our confession and the scripture verses, the references that it gives are pretty much the same ones that Mr. Washer uses in our, in our lesson. Chapter 4 of the confession says, Of creation, in the beginning it pleased God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power, wisdom and goodness to create or make the world and all things therein whether visible or invisible in the space of six days and all very good the uh, the book that we have here points out like I said that it is foundational to our faith it's very important I, th I don't think anybody that denies God as creator can as well call out to God as savior. They go together. And you would be denying scripture if, if you'd done that. Uh, I'm going to read just a little bit here this opening paragraph. One of the foundational truths of scripture and the Christian faith is that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is before all things. When we see words like before, and later we're going to look at the word firstborn, it's not what we think. Here it means preeminence, the highest, the most important, the greatest, the, the highest you can go in, in honor. He is before all things, and all things exist because of him. He was not caused or made by something or someone greater than himself. Rather, he is the cause and maker of all things. And nothing that does exist would exist apart from him. He alone is creator. No one shares this title with him. He goes through four things that this should change about the way we think, about the way we live our lives, about our, our beliefs. It says, number one, it should lead us to awe and reverence. And this knowledge uh, that we find out about this God, if he is able to create the way he has, if he is this great, he's definitely worthy 
of absolute reverence. Number two, we should be thankful and we should be worshipful. The book says if God had not created us, we would not be. And I think a very uh, ugly, harmful, disrespectful way for somebody to view that would be to say, well, if God hadn't created us, we wouldn't know it and we wouldn't owe him any honor anyway. That's, that's horrible. That's, that's the world's way to look at things and uh, it's a low way to look at God. He did create us. He did do us for his own he did do it for his own glory and we should be thankful we should it should lead us to worship number three it says it should lead us to humility what is man that God should take thought of him number four it should give purpose to our existence a lack we are not the result of random chance or some mindless process praise the lord god is deliberate god is active still yet in his creation he, he didn't create it and spin it as a young man that's that's actually what i thought i thought what a miracle that god would create this thing spin the whole world spin all of creation turn his back and walk away and it still go on like it should and that's that's not true he maintains it just like a conductor with an orchestra he is conducting every event. It's fascinating. The first thing that he points out, the first point in number one is the name. We are directed to Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28. Let's look at that. I'm going to try to look at all the scriptures. We're going to talk about what the scriptures say. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord, in all capitals, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And the question is, what does this teach us about God's greatness? Well, the words used are everlasting God and creator. Uh, I think more accurately, it would be an everlasting God is Jehovah. Scripture assumes Jehovah. He's merely pointing out the fact that this God is eternal. The prophet adds the detail everlasting. Even pagan gods. Think about the ones we know from the Bible. Baal, Ashtaroth, all these pagan gods. And if you, when I was young, I, was, uh, I read quite a bit of uh, Greek mythology for entertainment. And by God's grace, I always knew that this was fiction. It was not true. They never, they never claim eternality. They cannot claim this. They, it's like they come up to a line and they say, hey, we can't go there. But God, our God, Jehovah, is in fact eternal. The next scripture that we refer to is Genesis 1, 1 and 2. It is my opinion, we think of uh, familiar scriptures, we think of people who are not particularly Bible fans or even claim to be Christian, that can quote John 3.16. And we think that's, that's a famous verse and everybody knows that verse. I think as many people know Genesis 1.1. The Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Again, we're faced with the fact that God is eternal. He mentions the beginning. 
God, God created the beginning. He stepped into, out of eternity, into our time, created this time so that we could live in it, and said, I'm going to create. And he did. This states his eternality. It also points out, like I've done before, the title, the position of God. We misuse this word so often. Uh, we talk about things that are not God as gods. Uh, in the Bible, things are referenced as pagan gods that are idols. They're not God. When we read God in the reference to Jehovah God, this is supreme, like I mentioned a minute ago. He is above all. It's, it's hard for us to imagine, and a lot of this is going to be very hard for me to describe. But he is he's so sovereign, all-powerful. We say God Almighty, and it rolls off our lips like uh, it's natural. It's not. Almighty. He can do all things. He can do everything. He is aware of everything. Uh, he is eternal. He is loving when we cannot be loving. There's everything good about God. And in this case, he says he is, states flat out, he is God. Uh, this is what we should expect of God. If you come up to a disaster or a crime scene, a man's there with a badge and a hat, and he's giving orders. He has authority there. Who is that guy? He's the sheriff. He's doing what is expecting of, uh, expected of him. You, you see that in his name, sheriff. We should see that title and that authority in the name God. In the Bible, in Scripture, the, word, the, the names of God, Jehovah, Elohim, Yahweh, Lord, all these things. And we, we kind of soften it and just use the word God. I think that's, that's concession for, for people like us. But uh, it's more like a title. This, this is God. He is all-powerful. He, he has all wisdom. He is sustaining what he created there in verse 1. Not only did he create it, he is sustaining it. He's holding it up. Another thing is God's love. It said that the earth was without form and void and darkness. There was a cure for that. God brought light. God, the word that we see there, without form and void, is pretty much chaos. It's just, we, we cannot imagine in our minds nothing. This is just ultimate nothingness. It has no meaning. It has no purpose. It has no goodness. It has no order. It's pretty much confusion. But he shaped it, and there it was. But it was still without form and void. He came. The cure to darkness was light. And he brought that. It says the, the Spirit was hovering. The Spirit came. The world did not go to the Spirit. Keep this in mind as we look at this. Keep this in mind as we look at God's creation. Keep in mind that creation points to the new creation. It's a type, and it points to salvation. This work that he done in creation is awesome, spectacular, good, and perfect. To save a soul that is his enemy is no less. It may even be greater. It, it points to this. The reason I say that is the Spirit came and was hovering. He came just like He comes to us. We don't go to Him. We would not go to Him. He comes to us. It says this word, uh, and I'll mention this again later, the Spirit of God was hovering as if, and there's reference to wind, there's reference to breath. This word uh, is only used like of a bird. What do you think of when you uh, hear about 
at the baptism of Jesus and the Spirit of God came down and it looked like a, a dove. Well, now did that dove plummet down on him? I don't think so. He was hovering. This word uh, is also related to what a, what a bird does when it's brooding, setting on its, its young or on its uh, eggs. You think of a 200-pound ostrich sitting on an egg, it would not be hard to crush that egg, but it don't, does it? It's carefully caring for, brooding over, hovering over that egg. It's fascinating. He points out in this note, this word created, bara, is used only with reference to God. Only God can create. I'm going to point that out later. It's going to come up again. This is the work of God to create. We, we may refer to, and we may hear people say of, of an artist, this is the creation of an artist. Well, he, he took things and he put them together. It's uh, only God creates. The next scripture is Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let's look at that. prophet says you are the Lord you alone you have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts the earth and all that is on it the seas and all that is in them you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you again he uses the word Lord Jehovah the self-existent one there's nobody that you can say that about except God, the self-existent one, the pre-eternal one. He points out, we're going to see categories over and over. Here he makes a list, the heaven, the earth, the seas, and all that's in them. Not only did he create them, created them with order and purpose, but he preserves them. He put order in that. He points out, the host of heaven. This is all the planets, all the stars, and the angels. He is Lord over every speck as far as the universe reaches. If there's another universe, I doubt it. He's Lord over that too. He created that too. There is no place where God is not Lord, where God is not sovereign over all this creation. He sustains it. Even the angels. People, uh, and we're going to read a, a scripture from Colossians that was given in answer to people who wanted to worship angels. No. The angels are not to be worshipped. The angels are created just like we are. They're mighty. They're fearful. They are amazing creatures. But they are creatures. Creature and creation share the same few letters there in the beginning. Remember that. A creature is created. God is not a creature, and he is not created. He is sovereign, omnipotent, Lord of all, creator. This is pretty much, the note says here, that this is an affirmation. This is looking back and just restating what Genesis 1, 1 and 2 said. <clears throat> Moving forward, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12. prophet says it is he who made the earth by his power who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the whole heavens this there is no contradiction there is no conflict in any of these statements whether it be from the new testament the old testament 
the point of time of Nehemiah, Jeremiah, early prophets, later prophets, there is no conflict. They all say the same thing in different ways. Uh, this one here is saying he created it with power. This is power that, that we, can't, we can't fathom, we can't imagine to be able to create. And he points out wisdom. It made uh, a reference or one of the references found about this is Psalm 33, 6. You don't have to turn there because it's short. I wrote it down. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Such amazing power. In Jeremiah, it also uses the word established. This is sustained. This means that he didn't walk away, but this is put in place in a way that he can take care of it. It'll bring glory to him. Uh, it works together. We see this in the ecosystems of the earth and all the, the environment. These, he established these things to work together. There's really no, nothing to fault about it. If man had not come along and messed with it, it would be running great. He points out the heavens. Think about the heavens. We're constantly getting updates on the news if you have a feed on your on your uh, internet pictures are sent back from light years away these telescopes constantly going out trying to find planets or beings or something sending back information light years away think about how huge the expanse is and we've just got our toe over the edge the heavens all of the expanse of however far that goes God made all that. Now that is huge. And you think of all these stars. Very often. Talk to Cody. And he, he's fat. I don't see how he hadn't run into a lot of trees or cars or something. Because he's constantly looking up in the sky at night. He's fascinated. And he, he's brought me a fascination of it. Of, of the planets and the stars and stuff. All that. Billions. Who knows? Millions and billions. If there was a place where something could get mixed up or out of order, would that not be it? Yet, even the earliest men with a sextant, that instrument with a telescope or a thing that would line up with an angle down here, could look at the stars out in the middle of the ocean, and they would know where they were, and they would know where they, where they wanted to go, because the stars are exactly where God put them, and they don't move. They are so consistent. Is that not fascinating? It blows me away. If there was a place that it would be confusion, that would be it. Yet it's not. It stays right there where God put it. Think about creation. How many... Blades of grass. Did you step on on your way to the car or on your way into this building? Blades of grass. Did you know that there are 12,000 species of grass on the earth? Grass covers around 20% of the earth's surface. 12,000. We go out here. It's a bother to us. We don't want it some places. We do want it some places. You pick one up, hold it in your hand. Tomorrow it will be wilted because it has life in it. Man cannot duplicate that little plant. Man cannot make that. God, God put them out like they're, it's no problem for, for him at all. They're everywhere. Man is way down. God is way high. That same blade of grass has to live. It has to have life in it. You know how aggravating dead grass is in your yard. You don't want a dead spot. And we feed it. We water it. We put fertilizer on it. Try to make it grow. Try to make it greener. God don't do that. The grass does not travel like an animal. An animal will go out and hunt. What does God do for the grass? He made the grass with a thing, a system, I don't understand it, 
photosynthesis, and it takes light from the sun, nutrients from the ground, and water from the sky, and there's life in it. This is fascinating to me. I mean, maybe it's not to you, but it blows me away. But the point is, the, the grass don't move. God brings the food to the grass. It's amazing. Creation reveals not only the power of God, but also His wisdom. Let's keep going. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. This chapter, called the chapter the Hall of Faith, states, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now we're going to mention later these categories of things. Here we see one of them mentioned, things that are visible, things that are invisible. And it's mentioned... That God made it made everything that we have, and I'm gonna I'm gonna mix up the words made and create, so forgive me. God created everything out of nothing. I've said this before. We don't even know how to think of nothing. You ask somebody what what you thinking? Well, nothing. Well, yeah, you was thinking something. If I tell you to think nothing think about nothing, you can't do it. Something's going to come into your mind. Nothing. You put somebody in a room. Uh, this artist we mentioned earlier. Create some art in this room with nothing. He can't do it. There's nothing there. He cannot create it. God made everything out of nothing. The whole universe. Uh, funny story. I had been craving some good breakfast gravy. You say, well, go to Bojangles. They got gravy. Okay, they got gravy. Okay, I know. Well, I wanted some good gravy. So, I made me some gravy. Made me two eggs over medium. Liver mush. Three frozen biscuits. I only ate two. Coffee. It was beautiful, I, and you, and I, I asked the blessing, and I thank God for my food. I actually really thank God for this food. It was really good. Not necessarily because of me, but I was the only one there. I put these things together. I I got the ingredients. I put them together. Put in a pan. I made the stuff. I made it where I could eat it. I didn't create anything. Sharon went to the store. She got all the stuff for me, brought it to the house, put it in the store at my house. It's, our house is like a store. We don't run out of stuff. I got, I got a cabinet. I'm going to apple butter. Go over it. There's apple butter. Three more lined up behind it. We don't run out almost never. I got all the stuff out of the cabinet. That's the point. I did not make these things. Merit makes these cakes. Have you had this work of art cake that Merit makes? It is a work of art. It's good. She don't create it. She has to buy ingredients just like everybody else. Zach, build a deck or an addition to a house. Anything like that. <laughs> you think you're done. Three trips to Lowe's, you think, oh, that's, that's the last trip. Nah, you got to go back and get something else. You always forget something. We have to gather our things together. God does not. This is, this is a concept that, number one, we can't imagine nothing. Number two, God took nothing and created 
everything, that is that extreme and that extreme. And they will not come together unless God brings them together. And he did. He created everything out of nothing. Now we're going to change gears here. Number three in the book states, it is important to understand that the creation of the universe was a work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And it gives us scriptures again. We're going to go back to Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Have you ever considered how many sermons or how big a sermon or how what a series of learning you could make from just these two verses? A, a preacher could preach the rest of his life on just these two verses. I'll read it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. When we read the word God, my inclination is to thank God the Father. That's not wrong. If I thank only God the Father, that is wrong. Later in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, he said, let, make, let us make man in our own image. So obviously the whole trinity was present. The whole trinity was active. If you thank God the Father, you're not wrong. If you thank God the Son, you're not wrong. They were all present. We already mentioned the work of the Spirit, specifically named, hovering. Uh, let's just look out of curiosity in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, a reference to hovering. This mentions the bird. I'm going to begin at verse 8 and read through verse 14. Of the Spirit. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is His people, Jacob, His allotted heritage. He found him in the desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young. This picture of hovering, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land. He ate the produce of the field. And he sucked with him the honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. Curds from the herd, milk from the flock, with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats, with the very finest of the wheat. And you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. This protection, this hovering, this brooding, is pictured of God not only in Genesis but other places like this. He's, he cares for his creation. In this case, uh, his people. The Spirit was present at creation, hovering. Uh, a hen sits over their eggs to incubate them. She's caring for them. Even her young, when they're little, they'll come up under her wings. This is, this is not foreign. She's protecting them. All that them little baby chicks are, whether they're in an egg or whether they're under her wings, all that they need is, is that mom. She is all to them at that time. This picture of the Spirit pictures such care, such love, such uh, even organization, uh, the, the Trinity working together. The note here points out the word, the Hebrew word, rock, 
which translated breath or wind. Uh, I guess it's Mr. Washer <clears throat> made this note, and I think it's kind of valuable. Even the, And I don't have definite nailed down answers and concept for these things. Uh, breath or hovering or wind, uh, spirit, all these things, but I think we can, we can come to a good enough conclusion. It says the word spirit comes from the Hebrew word rock, which may also be trans translated breath or wind. The word hovering is translated from the Hebrew word rakaf, which means to hover. Some modern interpreters have argued that a reference is being made to the wind rather than the personal spirit. However, such an interpretation does not fit the context, Mr. Washer says. <clears throat> the wind does not hover. The text clearly refers to the creative work of the person of the Holy Spirit. I have no problem with that. I, don't, I really don't think there's a big conflict. I don't think it's something we should argue about. Let's turn to John chapter 1. Very familiar verses. John 1, 1 through 3. Again, working with the idea that the Trinity was present in creation. We just looked at the Spirit. This is pointing out the work of the Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. <clears throat> this word, Logos, refers to Jesus, the Son, the expression. Uh, there's other places that we're going to look at where here Jesus is the expression. We think of God. How do we know God? We know God because we look at Jesus, because we look at Christ. God, He is called the invisible God. We wouldn't see Him with our eyes. This is how we understand. This is how we learn with our eyes, with our ears. We wouldn't do that. We cannot see this God except we see Jesus. The Word is the Son. Jesus Himself, every bit as much God as the Spirit or the Father. You know, <clears throat> and this is part of what plays into the criticalness of God as creator when you consider the doctrine that Jesus is God. Jesus' deity is perhaps the most criticized and attacked doctrine in church history. Without this truth and Jesus' relation to penal substitutionary atonement, the gospel fails. It falls apart. This is, this is the block of Jenga that you pull out and the gospel will not stand. So we have to understand that Jesus is God and there's no conflict in saying that Jesus as God is Jesus the Creator. Let's turn to Colossians. This is one of the most clear, one of the most detailed uh, verses that we have. Colossians 1.16. I think I'm going to read from verse 15 through 20 just because I like it. <coughs> The heading in the Bible says, The preeminence of Christ. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Image, you could think icon. You could think, uh, remember when they brought the coin to Jesus. Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. We'll give that to Caesar. You pay to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. Whose image are we stamped with? We're stamped with God's image. 
Jesus is the image. Like I said before, this is how we know God, if we know Jesus. He is the image. This, this is a contradiction in terms, but it's just a fantastic truth. An image, an icon of something that's invisible. But that's what it says. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Jesus was born first. Jesus, God is not born or created. He is the creator. He's preeminent. He's eternal. That's not what it means. This is a position of authority. Uh, when, he, when Paul wrote this to the Colossians, uh, a firstborn son or a firstborn child would have honor in that family. The honor right under the father. He is the firstborn. That's his, that's his position. For by him all things were created. These statements are enormous. That makes me, I want to read it real slow. Uh, when you have a language barrier with somebody, you know you talk louder and you talk slow. That's what I feel like doing. This is, this is so amazing for me, these, these words. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible, he put, lays out these categories here, all things, big category, come down, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. Now this does speak of time, he is, he is before all things, but it also speaks of his position. He is above all things. Before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Not only did he create them, he's holding them together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have, he might be preeminent. And you say, uh, there was people raised from the dead before Jesus we know Lazarus was born, was raised from the dead. Uh, the widow of Nain's son was raised from the dead. There's probably a couple in the Old Testament who was raised from the dead. He's not the first one to be raised from the dead. It means, he again, he is the firstborn. He is the highest. He is the highest rank that there could possibly be. This is the highest term that they had in their culture back then. That's why he says this. The firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might have, he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's another fascinating phrase. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Stating extremely clearly, extremely plainly, Jesus is God. It's not like God relented to have his body, his, his presence and his goodness and his, his godness, his deity put into a human body. No, it says it pleased God to do this. This is God's plan. Fascinating to think of this position of Christ. We can't imagine it. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. He points out, Christ is the point to which all creation refers. It's made for him. It's made from him. It will return to him, and he will get all the glory out of it. I'm going to read this note. The three phrases, by him, through him, and for him, or unto him, are extremely important. The Son is not only the agent of creation, but he is also the purpose or goal of creation. Both truths are clear affirmations of the Son's deity. All things were made by the Son, and for his honor and good pleasure. I'm personally glad that... Mr. Washer, the editors of this book, has seen fit to every possible opportunity to point out the deity, deity of Christ. 
It's been, it's been attacked. It's been maligned. It's been insulted for all of history as far as I can learn. So I think we should, we should proclaim it every time we get a chance. Yes, Jesus is God. Don't be ashamed to say that. He has a short uh, paragraph here about uh, evolution. Uh, pretty much just dismisses it. I'm great with that. Uh, it's not like the Bible tries to argue with it because it's just an, a non-issue. He goes straight to Psalm 19. Let's look at that. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. question in the book says, how does creation bear witness to the existence, power, and glory of God? And then we're given this scripture. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. He pictures Creation here uh, gives the example of the sun. I think it's extremely beautiful. He goes through the, the heavens. We, we talked about the heavens earlier, how big, how consistent, how uh, perfect they remain for all these years, the heavens and all, all of space. But what's the thing about space? It's quiet, ain't it, from what we can learn. Well, it says right here, the heavens declare the glory of God. They're screaming. Pretty much all of creation just shouts, Jesus is Lord all day. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. You can't look at it without seeing the greatness of God. And this is day to day. This is consistently over and over, over and over. It says night to night. Reveals knowledge. It's, it's just saying over all of creation says Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Creator. God is supreme. Even though there is no speech, and there's no words, he says there's a voice heard. It is God's voice. This picture he gives of the sun. Can you imagine the sun pictured as a bridegroom? Bridegroom, this young, strong man gets up on his wedding day, throws open that tent, steps out, says, I'm getting married today. And the sun runs across the sky, and he does it over and over and over, consistently proclaiming God's glory. Even in the Psalms, even, even in creation, even in the sky that can't talk, even in blades of grass, the wind, it's all there. He is create, creator. Creation is evidence of God, His power and glory. These verses say that through all of creation, God is constantly, consistently revealing Himself and His power as creator to all people. You think that he's just speaking to Christians, just to the elect. No. This, this screams to everybody. God is sovereign. God is creator. Let's go back to chapter 3 of Hebrews, this next reference. Hebrews 3, 4. 
I hope you're not wearied by all the scriptures. It's actually what uh, brings clarity and power to what the book is saying. He points out, this is an, an analogy. Hebrews 3, 4 states, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. The very, and this is one of the arguments of creationists. They say the very fact that we have creation states that there is a creator. Genesis 1 and 2, there was nothingness and chaos. What did it take? It took God's intervention to change that. I already mentioned early in creation, God's Spirit came to the aid of what was being created. The Spirit came and hovered or brooding, caring for, tending to the universe. Where there was nothingness and chaos, the Spirit brought order and structure and peace. This is deliberate. This is not random. This is very intentional. God as Creator done these very things. The note says it would be absurd to think that the house in which a person lives simply came into being by the means of random events. Nobody would think that. All of creation says there is a creator. Let's move quickly to Romans chapter 1. Verses 18 through 23. <clears throat> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The question asked in the book says, Has enough evidence been given to all men that they can rightly be held accountable? Without doubt. We see, if, you, if you can see, if you can hear, if you can feel the wind, if you can sense creation at all, you can see that there is a God. Verse 19 says, What can be known? This uh, makes me think again of Psalm 19. God is not withholding himself. We read this in our reading this morning. God is not withholding himself. Rather, he has gone to extreme lengths to make himself known through creation. Verse 20 states, He is clearly perceived since the creation. Again, God is invisible, yet He reveals Himself. As a matter of fact, we couldn't tolerate seeing God anyway. It's a condescension on His part to do it the way He's done it. Man cannot look on God. What a fascinating, loving, powerful God. He has most assuredly gone the extra mile for fallen man. There's a short uh, fill-in-the-blank section here referring to Romans 1.21. It says, They did not honor him as God. This comes from the Greek word doxazo, which literally means to glorify, to esteem as glorious. glorious. Man just turn away. No. Stiff arm God. Ignore God if they can. The next statement says, They did not give thanks 
And he points out in Acts 17, when Paul was in Athens, Paul states, He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. In fact, more than that, Paul says, in him, talking about God, we live and move and have our being. For this reason, man's ingratitude to God is an offense of the most grotesque sort. And I agree. It asks the question, according to Romans 1, 21-23, what has been the result of man's rejection? Having rejected the source of all good and benefit, men remain in their depraved, unrighteous condition. And this will not improve without an outside force, an alien influence, which is God. It will, however, as we have seen through all of history, it will degrade and decline. Men get worse and worse. It says in verse 22, we are futile, we are foolish, we are darkened. Even though men are hostile toward God, He is compassionate and reaches out to them. As creator, all-powerful creator, He has every right to ignore man or to punish man, yet He reaches out to Him with the Holy Spirit. Let's read Romans 118. Oh, no, yeah, it's good. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We'll look at that again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. <clears throat> and he asked the question What is the primary reason for man's rejection of God as creator of the universe? What is the primary reason? Follow-up question. Is the problem intellectual or moral? I think intellectual <clears throat> would imply lack of information or not being able to, to uh, process your information properly. We just saw all of creation screams every day consistently over and over and over. Jesus is Lord. God created so we know it's not lack of information. It is moral. People are ungodly. We're drawn to a close. Please hear this. <clears throat> People are ungodly and unrighteous. We fell with Adam. We lost all of our righteousness. We were sinners. Honestly, we preferred it that way. We enjoyed sin. And we loved it. Didn't we? Our flesh and our fallen nature don't mind sin. We can't see the cost of it. We like sin. If you've ever been around or had experience with a person, a drug addict or an alcoholic, and you look at that person and their body wasted, their flesh being eat up. They can't make decisions. They make enemies out of their families. And you question, why do you do that? Can you not see what you're doing? This is destroying you. There's, there's nothing good going to come out of what you're doing. Drugs or alcohol or this thing that, that's eating you up. But they enjoy it. They love that sin, don't they? That sin has them. That sin and their flesh is their Lord. Even though all of creation screams, Jesus is Lord. Just knowing there is a God is not salvation. Man's desperate need is salvation. He's separated from God. You're no better than a drug addict if, you, if without Christ. 
You're gonna, your end's going to be the same. Your flesh may last a little longer. Man's desperate need is salvation. To be cleaned. To be redeemed and put back with God in a right standing. To have his sins replaced with Christ's righteousness. You don't get that from creation. You don't get that from acknowledging Jesus as creator. Repentance and faith will bring that about. And that, and only that, will put that fallen man in a right standing before God, before Christ, his creator. Christ, as Lord God and creator, has the right and authority to command ungodly men and women, repent, trust me, as God and Savior, as Creator, that's that's not a stretch for Him. That's He's perfectly within His rights. I want to remind you. We spoke about creation. We didn't talk about young Earth or old Earth or all that. Picture if it's six thousand years, whatever it is, in all of history since Adam. Nobody that ever came to Jesus in genuine spirit, wrought repentance and faith has ever been rejected. All of history. Think of how many millions of people that would be. Never one, not the first one, has been rejected. And I can guarantee you by the word of God. That if you turn to Jesus. In repentance and faith. You will not be the first one. He is God. He is creator. He is the one to which we will answer. Let's pray.